0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? And Mr. Kelly, are you concerned about the forecast? Because you kind of live in a rural area.
3: Yeah, we don't have too much trouble. Uh, and I'm south, and it looks like most of this is going to be from the city north.
2: Ah, you
3: know how that goes, though. Right. Yeah. But so far, okay. I'm going to keep an eye on it and see how it is in the morning, of course, because it got to come in early tomorrow. Right. So, yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on so it, it for sure. So it'll be like,
2: low 20s.
3: Yeah yeah
2: slippery
3: uh-huh
2: so i'm hoping
3: that uh, they'll put down if they have to they'll put down some uh cinders which really give you a good grip right. and uh i'll get a grip
2: all right <laughs> but i'm more concerned about you walking around your own property oh, yeah. since you took the fall last two uh, weeks ago
3: still it still bothers me wow i'm getting really frustrated <laughs> I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do a little workout today and see what happens. So all tomorrow right. I could be in real pain. <laughs> we'll we'll good see. Luck. Yeah, thanks.
2: <laughs> Certainly. Yes, folks, on Saturday morning we get together and we have a discussion about what's impacting your backyard. Oh my goodness, you walk out there and you better have some boots on. Squish, 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 squish. Front yards the same way, side yards, both of this. It's all over the place. How about a garden space? How about the taste of the tropics? How are your house plants doing? And potting mixes, soil improvements, shearing, pruning, bugs, diseases, or whatever that may be on your mind. Uh, my information hopefully will help you make good decisions and uh, solidify your options. With a final judgment, of course, is going to be on your shoulders. And uh, this is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you inviting me over to your car, home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Very important player in this game is Alex, and he's producing again today. By the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation where I recommend plant materials. This should be taken out. This could be put in its place. I can recommend, I can do a quick sketch, you know, as far as design-wise and things like that. I call those walk-and-talks. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. So let's get moving today and take a stroll. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Rain, rain, go away. I'm really tired of it. So I decided to take a little bit more time. And uh, as I sat in my car at Ninth and Lammy. Ninth and Lammy. Hmm, where is that? That's in Soulard, just down the street from where Tracy and I used to live. Ornamental grasses are lining part of the section of 9th Street, and they have the perfect winter color, kind of a tannish brown. The entrance pergola, well, they have lariopy at its base. There's a pair of white benches facing each other on the other side of a wood chip covered pathway, and it has rained so hard, a lot of the wood chips have washed out onto the sidewalk. Not a huge amount, but there is still plenty. There's numerous personal gardens, plots, some of them all with raised beds, sides with boards, and several have some cool season vegetables growing. And uh, most just kind of sit there and wait. Bookending this area is on the one end, the north end, you see a small grove of white pines. On the opposite end, the south end, there's going to be recycling, dumpster bins, and composting mulch. And on the west side, a historic wall backdrops a whole Sular Garden area. Ornamental trees dot various areas. Some are flowering crabapples, and some are—I think there's a couple red buds in there, too. It was so dark this morning, I couldn't—and it was kind of pouring, so I decided not to necessarily go through the whole route, but did quite a bit. Branches are all sparkling with the rain, and they're swaying in the slight breeze. The sound of raindrops hitting so many different surfaces, it really made it sound like some kind of orchestra was playing music for this early January morning. And uh, it's getting wetter and wetter and wetter and uh, time to go. So hopefully I'm glad it wasn't 10 degrees colder as it's gonna be later on today. Then I'd be saying, snow, snow go away rather than rain, rain go away. So anyway, just be careful out there whether it's snowing or sleeting yet or not. Wet roads can be kinda slippery. Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Lines are totally open, so if you call, you're going to be the first one that we talk to today. And uh, Brian Kelly's forecast or whoever the weather guy was, Isaac somebody, but anyway. Uh, Ice and snow coming up, besides scraping and shoveling, you know, your steps, your walks, your patios, your driveways, you could spread traction sand. Don't spread regular kind of sand. You want traction sand. They have their particle sizes are bigger. Cheap bird seed, uh, wood ash, sawdust, vermiculite. That will help you access, you know, move across any kind of slippery surfaces. And how does ice happen? Well, unfrozen, when the temperatures are above 32 degrees, water actually has tiny molecules that are in constant motion. And when the water temperature goes below 32, that motion stops, those molecules stick together, and that's what forms ice. So, just that's if you want to know how ice actually happens, well, there it is. And uh, if you select any kind of salt or ice melts or things like that, spread them carefully and realize that some of them are going to do some more damage to potentially plant material with runoffs than others. And also, the traditional rock salts, the sodium chlorides and things like that, they actually, I mean, it actually damages potentially hardscapes as well. Well, let's head to the first phone call of the day, and let's go over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi.
4: I have a question about uh, fig trees. Okay. I have a fig tree and I try to get it ready in the winter to make it through for the next year. But is there any way that's a good way to do it? I mean, I've done various things, but this year I cut it halfway off and wrapped it. But is there a a better way to prepare it for winter?
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot of times it depends upon the exposure and everything else. And if you're Wherever you live, if it's wide open and you get strong breezes coming through and stuff like that, but for the most part, you've done more than enough, probably.
4: Well, I usually put something, either leaves or something, in the bottom, and then I've wrapped it with burlap, and then I've wrapped it with a freeze blanket. Wow. I'm (laughs) I'm trying to get it so that it doesn't start going all the way to the ground, so I have something that... It isn't, you know, destroyed
2: all the way to the ground, or is that normal? Um, no, they, I mean, it just depends. It's going to be weather dependent more so than anything else. Regardless of what you do, if we have a severe winter, it's not going to make all that much difference. You know, the things that you're talking about doing, it will help a little bit, but it's not going to help all that much. The root system is going to be the most important thing. Okay. The above ground growth is certainly important because that's where you're going to get your, you know, your fruits or things like that. But the reason why I'm saying. You know, as far as what you're doing, may be a bit extreme, but it's fun if you want to do that. And your neighbors will go, "What in the world is she doing again?" That Linda, she's crazy. But anyway, they've got fig trees at the botanical garden, and they don't wrap them. And so, they just
4: let them freeze down to the bottom. Yeah, if they're
2: if it's if it's going to be that cold that causes that, then it will happen. But for the most part, our winters have not been really that bad you know, to cause, you know, everything above ground to get, let's say, killed off by the cold.
4: So if it gets frozen down, how, you know, would, would I get a good crop the next year? I've only had, I've had this about five years, and one year I had a really good crop. This past year, it was really late, so I didn't get much off of it.
2: Right, so it's just, you know, it's it's just, it's just going to be weather dependent. Okay. It's kind of like with any kind of fruits or anything that's, you know, that are springtime flowers, you know, fruit set and everything else, it's just... Uh, it's totally an iffy thing.
4: Is there a way to prune it? So, like, I've got it halfway down. Is there a way that I should cut it, you know, trim? How do I know which things to trim off to thin it out or to?
2: Well, personally, what I would do is no pruning whatsoever, wait until spring comes. Mm-hmm. Then anything that doesn't, the buds don't start swelling, I would cut those off.
4: Okay. Cut them at the ground. Right.
2: right?
4: Okay. All right, I think I've. I well, I I figure I did overkill on mine. So.
2: <laughs> but <laughs> you <okay>. love it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> this year was better. I used to look like a big snowman. So. <laughs> I've cut it down some. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Certainly. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, it looks like maybe the rain has stopped. But uh, as we sit out and look out from KMWX, we see the uh, the north side of the Soldiers' Memorial, and the uh, I guess that's a Missouri state flag is so wet, it's actually stuck to the flagpole. I mean, that is a very wet flag. Let's go over to Maureen's yard. Hi, Maureen.
5: Hi, Mike. Hi. Great show, and um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I agree with you. It's too wet. And (laughs) um, I have a question about zucchini and squash bugs.
0: Mm
5: -hmm. Do you know anything about squash bugs? Yeah. All right, so last year I had beautiful zucchini plants doing well, lots of little zucchinis, got a couple, then all of a sudden it wilted just right before my eyes. It was just horrible within a week or so, two weeks. And um, found those bugs on it. I looked it up and it said squash bugs. So um, there wasn't much I could do except try to get rid of them, but it didn't work.
2: What did you try to do?
5: I um, I tried to. pick them off, and then put some soapy water on them. And then I tried to suffocate the ones that were on the ground.
2: <laughs> and
5: you <laughs> suffocated your
2: plants, too. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I so
2: anyway,
4: wow.
5: Well, this is what, I Googled it, and they, they said that my concern now is that they're going to come back.
2: Will well, they? I mean, they potentially lay eggs and things like that, but just start watching it earlier, you know, and oh. also watch the underside of the leaf. And rather than using soapy water, I would get insecticidal soap because – and spray it directly onto them. I mean, if you have to – if these are very important plants to you, you're going to – might have to look at them every day. And if you work, you might have to do it, you know, before you go to work or after you get home or whatever it happens to be, but uh, – that you, you, I mean,
5: they were multitudes right. I mean I, couldn't, I could not keep control. I could not control them, so but I, my concern now, like I said, is that they're going to come back. I'd rather they go into the soil and that they will come back again. So do I need to move to a different
2: plot? Well, probably what I would do is just not plant you know anything that would be attracted to, you know to the squash bugs at all for one What's full that? year, and then just, maybe they'll yeah. move over to your neighbors or someplace else, <laughs> and then you can start all over again.
5: But there's no way to get them out of the
2: soil? Well, it's very difficult.
5: I mean, could I put an insecticide in the soil now?
2: No, it's not. Hey, I don't do like
5: using harsh stuff, you right. know, chemicals and stuff.
2: That's why because insecticide is soap too. is pretty safe. And, I mean, so I would say just go do one full year of, you know, not you know planting anything that could be attractive to them, and then they're uh-huh. going to leave because they don't have any food source.
5: Okay, so if I dug up the top layer of soil, would that help to uh, rid them?
2: Yeah, you could try that, especially if okay. you can do it. I mean, you can't do it right now because the soil is too wet. But if you can do it here during the rain, you know, during the winter time, where uh-huh. you can flip it up. And expose any kind of eggs or, you know, hibernating adults or whatever it happens to be yeah. to the really cold, then that's going to, you know, they're using oh. the, you know, the earth as an insulator, as a blanket. So if you yeah. get them up to the top of the surface or close, then if we get, which I'm sure we are going to, some cold weather, then you that's what you're going to end right. up with. Okay, thanks, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, those bugs, some of the bugs are just very, very irritating. So 314 or 1-800-925-1120. Also, if we uh, have a situation where we're going to get the ice, sleet, snow and things like that, please do your your shrubs and everything a a favor and don't go out there and start knocking the ice or snow off the branches because you can do major damage by that. You say, well, I'm just trying to prevent a super amount of weight building up on my shrubs, on the branches, which are bending and possibly cracking. But hitting them with even a broom, you know, as soft as you possibly can, can also cause the cracks. So, that, you know, if you, if your plant material is healthy and flexible and everything else – then you should not have to go out there and knock the snow off of it at all. If you want to, you could, you know, slightly brush it, but don't hit at all. And if it's ice, don't knock the ice off because you are definitely going to do some damage, whether they're deciduous, whether they're evergreen, you know, conifers, broadleaf evergreen, or anything. So just watch out if this weather is going to happen like they're talking about. Even an inch, if it has ice in it, it could really, you know, cause some bending of the branches But your shrubs and, you know, young trees or, you know, lower or ornamental trees or whatever, they don't need to be knocked. You don't need to knock them, let's put it that way. Let's head over to Bob's, and Bob lives in South City. Hi, Bob.
6: Uh, Yes, Mike. I've got a forsythia bush that's probably about 20-something years old. It's been doing great. We keep it trimmed, and it blooms and everything, but in the last couple of years, Inside the bush on the branches, there is a major number of what I call galls growing there. They go anywhere from the size of a golf ball down.
2: This is on a forsythia shrub?
6: Yes. I've it's never about seen the, the, the bush is probably six and a half feet tall, and uh, it, it's just a round-like ball that grows on the branch and it's got little, it's real bumpy when you feel it, but it's, I don't know what those things are.
2: <laughs> to be honest with you, I've never heard of that. Really? No. Forsythia is pretty much free of any kind of problems whatsoever. So, uh, what Well,
6: it, it's not causing a problem yet that I know of, but there, there's, there's quite a few of them. There's a lot of them inside that bush on the different branches, but it hasn't affected the growing or the blooming of it yet that I know of.
2: Well, I mean, there are certain insects that when they they lay their eggs and it could be a lump, you know, on a shrub, on a branch, I mean, even on a house, on, you know, all kinds of different places. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with this.
6: Oh, okay. I was just curious as to what those things might be. Yeah,
2: I you know, I don't have a clue. What you could do is go to the... Missouri Botanical Garden website, mo, M-O-B-O-T dot org, and see because I've never heard of galls on forsythia.
6: Well, I, I, I call them galls. I don't know if that's what the real name is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just thought I'd ask you. Yeah, I mean, I wish
2: I had the answer, but I could make up something. Those are yeah. really scary things, and I think they're from outer space or something. No, I don't
6: have them. <laughs> Well, I thank you for your time and you have a good day. You do
2: the very same thing. And again, you know, for Scythia, the same thing. If we do get this ice, you know, this in this round of weather or we get it later on or anything else, just leave everything alone. Now, generally, you're not going to have a whole lot of ice on any kind of deciduous shrub because there's nothing to hold them. But it's the things that are really a concern are plant materials like boxwood any kind of other broadleaf evergreens or anything that has needles like yews or junipers or things along, you know of that type. So, if you have questions or concerns 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Also, when the you know, the ground is really wet like it is now and uh, you know, even just walking across your lawn for you know whatever reason minimize it as much as you can because even your weight, regardless of how much you weigh, you know, can compact the soil a little bit and that could lead to some problems, you know, when finally, you know, in another couple months, it's gonna be lawn season. So that's why where dogs run along fences or things along that line, that's why that you can't get anything to grow in those areas because it got overly compacted. But I mean simply even walking across your lawn It's not going to compact it like a dog running back and forth and back and forth, but it's still going to compact a little bit, which could lead to some potential problems. So just kind of watch out for that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes folks, questions, concerns or comments 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from and then we'll he'll put you up on the computer screen. So that's one of the things that is happening in the outdoors. Also, just remember I want to remind people of this again because we had a call last week. This time of year, you know, corrective pruning From damage, yes, you're going to do it to all trees, but just make sure if they're longer branches, you cut them off one-third at a time, starting at the end with the final cut being near or close to within a quarter to a half inch of the trunk or the largest branch, that branch that you're having to remove is the damaged branch is going to be. So you can leave the cambium layer so it can heal. But this time of year, don't do any kind of, let's say, pruning just in general on maple trees, beech trees or birch trees because they have a lot more sap flow in the wintertime versus the summertime. So those three groups of trees should not be pruned in the winter unless it's damaged. So, in other words, ice break or whatever it happens to be. Let's go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. How are you?
7: Fine. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was. Uh, wondering about an amaryllis bulb how you put, how you take care of it in the winter so that it'll bloom next christmas
2: <laughs> well getting uh-huh. it to bloom exactly at christmas time is a little tough but it's not impossible so i'm assuming you have one yes and it finished yes. flowering yes okay and the so the
7: flowers are withering
2: and so as soon as the flowers really start withering or start looking ugly just cut the flower stalk off okay. and then more or less treat it like a house plant so in other words, you're going to put it near a window, you know, with as much light as you possibly can, and just kind of keep this, you know, the potting mix or whatever it happens to be growing in, uh, just slightly damp but not overly wet because it is a bulb. It doesn't need a whole lot of moisture. And then you're going to start seeing leaves come out, and then you're going to let those leaves grow all next like nine months until September, okay. and then in September you're going to cut the leaves off leaving about a, let's say, one-inch stalk where all the, after all the leaves have been removed, and then just leave it alone. You know, you can put it in a dark spot if you want to. All that stuff is not really totally necessary. But uh, just leave it alone, and then probably within, let's say, four to six weeks, you'll start to see the flower bud start pushing up from the bulb.
7: So cut it down to the bulb?
2: Yeah, cut it down to a one inch above the bulb.
7: 1 inch okay.
2: So, inch in other off. words, that's the leaves and with the flower stalk, you can cut it and just leave a 1 inch cuz it's going to de- you know, it's going to dry up anyway. But just yeah. cut the flower stalk off, but after, you know, the leaves have grown for 8 or 9 months in September, then just leave about a 1 inch, you know, stub on top of the bulb where you've cut all the leaves off. Which there's not going to okay. be a whole lot. There's only going to be about let's say 6 leaves at the most.
7: Okay. Okay, and then put it in a dark place.
2: Well, you don't have to. Well,
7: you don't have to.
2: No, I mean that's. Some people you say have you have to got to and this and that and everything else, but sometimes we make things way too complicated.
7: Yeah. So then bring it back out, or put it back in the light, and give it a little more water. Yeah. After exactly you cut it down.
2: Yeah. Once you, you know, during that let's say time after you've cut the leaves off, don't do any watering or anything. Just leave it alone.
7: Okay. 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 Thank you very much.
2: Certainly. Yeah, they're pretty easy and I mean, easy to care for. I mean, it's actually, you know, it's a tropical type bulb. So they're. Yeah, they're good. And, you know, I mean, they're fun and it's kind of nice to have something with flowers that large this time of year.
7: Yeah. Yeah. They were beautiful. They really were from a friend of mine. And uh, so I'm supposed to take care of it in the winter, so that it comes back
2: next year. <laughs> well, good luck. Okay.
7: Thanks, thanks Mary. You very much.
2: Yeah. And speaking of your bulbs, uh, the other day I was I was you know down in the basement playing around or whatever, and I've got my summer bulbs, my cannas, elephant ears, and caladiums, and a few other things uh, down there in cardboard boxes, and I gave them the check, and luckily none of them have started to rot or none of them are in bad shape whatsoever. So they've still only got it four more months to stay inside before they get to go outside as a plant. Let's go over to Betty's yard. Hi, Betty. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I was calling
8: to help out the person with the squash bug Ah, problem. Okay. We have success with uh, either when we plant our seed or the plant, we put cigarette ashes in the dirt. And then, as the plant uh, leaves out, I also sprinkle cigarette ashes around the leaves, and that keeps the squash bugs away.
2: Really, never heard of
8: it. Yeah, I read it in a book that uh, it was a book for um, for gardening for plants that you didn't want to use insecticides on.
2: Sure. Well, I
8: mean, but we plant eight to ten zucchini plants a year, and. And usually have great success.
2: Well, that sounds great. I mean, you can't beat success, so uh, you just have to know somebody that smokes cigarettes. Either
8: that or just buy a pack and let it burn up in a a
2: can or ashtray or something. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, well, thanks for the insight. Again. Okay. I mean. You're welcome. You know, never heard of that one and never heard of the lumps on the forsythia either. So, other things that you might be thinking about, uh, again, this is the time of year I, when it's this wet, you don't do anything in your yard, You just basically nothing. But uh, as soon as everything starts drying out, again, I'm going to push on this deep root feeding. And that's for your trees, the benefit of your trees. And that's where you go out around your tree and you go halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the drip line. And that is, you know, where the extension of the branches. is. And you start augering holes, and then you backfill those holes with compost. You auger the holes about, uh, the, an earth auger is about a one-inch diameter drill bit, and you auger down about six inches or so and just backfill with compost. Again, you're feeding the soil, and then the soil will in turn you know, feed your you know, tree roots, your feeder roots. The reason why you start so far out from the trunk is because there's no feeder roots closer in. That's why the feeder roots are in they're always up near the surface as well. So there's no reason to, you know, auger any deeper. This does help aerate your soil as well. So understand that. Speaking of, you know, all this rain and everything else. We live across the street from Christie Park. And Christie Park, I you know, from my my understanding uh, from two doors down Charlie, who's one of my neighbors, he's lived most of his life or all his life in this neighborhood. But way back when, Christy Park was actually, the area was heavy-duty clay soils. So the clay was mined and baked there for making all the brick houses in St. Louis way back when. So to show how this clay soil is still really pretty clay, even though there are some pretty good trees and everything else growing in there, there's a low spot in the park halfway from our street down to Christy Boulevard. And it this, it's rained enough where we actually have the lake forming down there. So it's pretty big you know pond and it just it has to rain a lot, but when it does rain a lot, it, the water takes forever to kind of percolate down. And uh, so when we look out now, it looks like we live on a, a wooded area that has a lake in it. So that's kind of you know a great deal of fun as well. So also when you're outside too, Realize that uh, oh, the outsiders, if you live in an area where the deer or any of the other kind of, uh, let's say, wildlife might be, hopefully you've already protected any kind of branches or trunks on your trees with, you know, let's say the corrugated black pipe. So, because some of the young, let's say, I don't want to say young, let's say the smaller wildlife, They'll gnaw on the bark. They gnaw on it, not necessarily for food, but for moisture as well, even though it has a food value to it. So if when there's this much rain, you know, you think, well, what would they need moisture for? So they just gnaw and also just just keep an eye out for deer rubbing and things like that. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after These messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You know, this time of year, and I'm going to probably, depending upon the weather when I get home and stuff after the show today... Uh, I've got some piles from all the wind before all the rains came of leaves that blew up out of the park. I mean, we've got some, Christie Park has some white oak, and the white oak have huge leaves. Now, and they're the ones, the oak trees that have the rounded leaves, and some of these are like eight or nine inches long. It's hard to believe. But, I mean, you get a few of those piled up and you're going to get, you know, fungus problems. So what I do when it's really wet, the leaves are going to be wet that I have to pick up and stuff like that. I put latex gloves on and then I put a pair of gloves on top of those. The latex gloves are those kind of like doctors use or whoever uses or people that work in restaurants. And uh, it keeps my hands from getting so wet and cold. So that's one of the tricks that I've, you know, sort of have done for several years. So I know there's like three different areas in you know my yard that the leaves have built up pretty, you know, pretty thick, like maybe four to six inches. And I know if I don't get rid of it, they, you know, with especially all this moisture and everything else, it could be a fungus problem. Now two of the areas are not where the lawn is, but one of them definitely is. So I got to get, you know, get that taken care of today. So, I'll be out there after the show in the weather. And let's head over to George's yard. Hi, George.
6: Hi, how you doing? Very good. Um, so uh, about a year ago, I was in Atlanta, and my daughter-in-law gave me a sweet lemon, and it had a couple of seeds in it, and she said it's impossible to grow. So I took that as a challenge, and I planted them, and they're about a foot tall now, and they're indoors, um, getting sunlight from the window every day. Right. Um, what, what are the odds they'll survive in Missouri if I plant them outside in the spring? Or? Zero. <laughs> Zero. Okay. How about, um, so if I moved them to Atlanta, would they survive there?
2: Absolutely. Well, I don't know if they could survive in Atlanta or not. You don't, you're not going to see any kind of citrus groves in Atlanta. So you got to go a little bit further south or further west, California or Florida or along the Gulf Coast or things along that line. But, uh, all
6: right, so it's just a nice indoor plant, I
9: suppose. Then, huh?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of the greenhouses and things like that sell citrus trees. They're not really all that great as far as house plants go. I mean, you can have some success with them, but for the most part, uh, even if you buy one that's been, you know, grown in a greenhouse, greenhouse, and then you bring it home and it looks pretty good, the chances of survival for multiple years is going to be somewhat limited. Not impossible, but somewhat limited
6: understand. All right. I appreciate it, Mike. Great show.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. And, uh, you know, also, since the weather's going to, I mean, obviously getting colder and colder and colder, if you haven't had a chance to get out and take a look, you know, let's say you have some chemicals, organic chemicals or inorganic chemicals that you use in your landscape, give them a shake and make sure that they're, you know, I mean, I don't want you to smell them or anything, but, uh Hopefully they haven't, you know, put them in a a spot where they're not going to freeze. So if you have to sort of bundle them together and put them in, let's say, a styrofoam cooler or something along that line to protect them from getting cold. And also, you know, don't let them sit on the floor. And any of your, with the humidity as high as it is, any kind of granular things you have, whether it be, um, you know, fertilizers or soil amendments, you know, any organic types, The humidity can get in there and cause everything, you know, cause some problems with it that way. So hopefully you got everything protected earlier on. But uh, if you didn't, it doesn't hurt to get out there and try to do something right now to try to protect, you know, your sort of your investment for the future. Personally, I try to use everything up before the end of the season. So uh, just if you don't do that, then you got some real, you know, real, (laughs) let's say, problems. Your birds... Local birds, they need some seed, I mean, to bring them, you know, bring them in. The doves are around, the juncos are around right now, and uh, the cardinals, we used to have a lot of cardinals, but the cardinals don't seem to be as prolific, you know, right now as they have been the last couple years. And one of the problems we have with some of the bird circumstances, I used to feed them a lot, and but... Uh, What it did is brought the birds in, which was fantastic. But also we've got about a half a dozen or so feral cats that live in the neighborhood. So as soon as the birds start hanging around, then the cats are there. You know, I saw cats getting a couple birds and then I thought, well, I'm going to stop feeding the birds because the cats are, uh, you know, and I don't know what to do with the cats. But anyway, let's go. Let's head over to Mike's. Hi, Mike. How are you today?
10: Yes, sir. Very good. Thank you for your service. Sure. My, my question is, uh, I called in and talked to you last year. I've got an autumn blaze tree newly planted. It's one year old. Uh, my concern is at the base, uh, there's a couple cracks in the bark, which I researched is somewhat normal. But I have a section of bark about two inches wide, two and a half by three inches tall, that actually peeled off of the tree, and now the trunk is bare. Ooh. Mm. Uh, would you? I don't know what would cause that, and would you recommend getting some sort of tar or something on that?
2: No, tar won't do a thing. So, I mean, in the days of old when you used to be able to put stuff on splits and bark and all that kind of stuff, it had lead in it, so it would prevent any kind of, let's say, fungus, you know, fungal problems or viruses or things along that line. But basically gotcha. what it could be is when you you bought the tree, if there wasn't a spot... P- painted on the trunk. And what the spot on a trunk when you buy a tree means that's the side that you want to orient towards the sun. So sun skull could have actually caused the bark to split and peel off.
10: Okay. So is there any, anything to do to? Yeah. I mean,
2: you can can get to, you go to your favorite garden center and just get a tree wrap, which is kind of a, an elastic type paper and just wrap the bark and, uh, you know, and then, you know, tape it at the top to keep it in place and uh, that's about all you can really do. Either that, or just get some of the corrugated black plastic pipe. Get about yep. a one-foot section or two-foot section. Split it mm-hmm. and then open it up. Put it around the bark, and then that way, you know, you can sort of protect the, you know, the bark and the trunk, the lower trunk, from. Let's say, if the, if it is sunscald, that's you know, that kind of sounds like what it is.
10: Okay, so I guess another concern then is, is it an issue if we don't get that tightly wrapped or sealed when the sap comes up uh, leaking out of that area?
2: Uh, It's not necessarily, you know, the sap wouldn't necessarily, you know, be be a a major problem. It's just what happens is the wound that, you know, originally caused that could just increase in size. So that would be more of a problem than anything else.
10: Okay, and lastly, I, I do have a large dog. Uh, when the guy planted the tree, he told me a dog uh, urinating on it wouldn't harm the tree. Uh, would you encourage fencing that off to keep the dog away from it?
2: Ah, the dog, the dog urine is going to have more of an impact on the above ground growth rather than on the bark of the tree. So, in other okay. words, the the alkaline quality of dog urine is going to be more problematic because it's going to contaminate the soil. And then that could make it so the nutrients that the tree needs are not going to be available. So that's you know would be more of a concern or a problem rather than just the bark you know having urine on them.
10: Okay, well we'll give that a shot, and I sure appreciate everything.
2: Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, it's uh, great- and you know mainly the urine d- can impact certainly trees and shrubs and things along that line, but what's more impactful is the fact that. You know, it impacts your lawn. So your dog is, you know, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. So you could fence it off if you want to, but you don't necessarily need to. So thanks, Mike, for calling. And if anybody has any questions or concerns, take a look out your window and take a, you know, go out and just kind of stay off your lawn, of course because you don't want to stomp it down with its being so wet. But just take a look around and see what's going on in the outdoors. Then you can give us a call when we come back from the news. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you soon.
1: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks. Welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline, which is the tip of the trial hour. And uh, I'll be giving that shortly. Before you leave, Mr. Kelly, do you have x-ray vision or something? Because you said at the Gateway Arch is cloudy, so how do you see through the building all the way to the arch?
3: Off the reflection of the windows out there. Oh
2: wow! But well, very... we're close
3: enough. I'm,
2: it, <laughs> it, it's twelve <laughs> blocks. Well, yeah, but still. <laughs> but I will say, you know, I had mentioned the fact that the flag was stuck to the flagpole, but the, yeah. it looks like the wind is starting to blow it, you know, blow it free again. So
3: well, good. Yeah. You don't want a stuck flag. <laughs> <laughs> no. We right. have we have a blues flag that that gets stuck every now and then I have to go out and unstick it.
2: Where is it stuck?
3: <laughs> on on the flagpole We have a kind of an angular one and it actually it, it it has a bolt sticking out of it. I need to cut that off there.
2: Ah. But it'll
3: get caught once in a while and you wrap around, you know, and I'll go out there and take <laughs> care of it. So Oh, you're yeah, very conscientious. You know. Oh, you got to be, man. You got to be. <laughs> Or By the things. way, are you talking like water lilies today, and and growing rice, things like that? Yeah,
2: because it, so, it's so wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because
3: I, you know, I I have a rice patch, and it's doing great right now.
2: <laughs> That's pretty tough rice if it can do great in this weather.
3: (laughs) I have no idea.
2: I mean, I'm watching the flag right now, and sometimes it blows, you know, like the wind is coming out of the north. Sometimes, you know, it's blowing in this direction like Mm -hmm. the wind's coming out of the west. So the wind is just swirling around. It's variable. Right. Yes.
3: And by the way, I'm growing minute rice.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you're so clever. (laughs) Thanks. And, folks, 314-436-7900 or one 800 with your ideas, your questions, concerns, or comments. And, you know, actually, I mean, I've never, like last hour where the lady said, you know, she had squash bugs around her zucchini and she used cigarette ashes. That's something I have never, ever, ever heard of. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can come and discuss you know, plant selection, the cares for, the ups and downs of some annuals. Uh, the pansies, uh, I haven't seen any pansies looking very good at all. There are a couple other wintertime, cool season you know, annuals, but uh, haven't seen them. Bulbs, whether it be amaryllis, whether it be those tulips that you haven't planted, or the crocus, Or those grape hyacinths, which have their foliage above the ground this time of year. Or your ground covers that are getting buried in all the fallen leaves because you don't know what to do. You can't go out there and rake. You can't do this. You can't do What can you do as far as getting some of the debris off your ground covers? How's your houseplants doing? Your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs. Or as Mr. Kelly just asked, water gardens. I'd like to share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you uh, to help you maybe make the best decision possible. And Alex is answering the phone. He's across the big board. And when you call, he just needs your name, first name, and where you're calling from. And that's all he needs. So during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk where I can come to your home and make recommendations on your care, of the plant material you have, replacement of the plant material. So maybe you're looking for more fragrance. I can recommend plant material, give you a couple different options according to the exact setting that we're looking at. Because a lot of times, I mean, there's going to be a difference. You know, oh, you got a downspout coming here and you're flushing a lot of water on the ground and you want to have an evergreen to block a view. Well, there are a couple broadleaf evergreens like Inkberry, which is a type of holly native to Missouri, that you could plant there because it is native to swampy areas, a little bit further south than what we are. I'll share forty years of experience with you, and I can help again with landscape. A quick, I can do a quick design. I can do plant care and maintenance, whatever. Tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Some of the plant societies, maybe uh, you're into herbs. And maybe you live west. And how about the St. Louis Evening Herbalists? They meet in Faust Park, which is in Chesterfield. How about Herbs for Health and Fun Club? And they meet at the University of Illinois Extension Service in Mount Vernon, Illinois. How about the Four Winds Garden Club? And they meet at the AKC Museum of Dog in Queenie Park or the Town and Country Garden Club. They meet at the Farmhouse at Longview Park. So a lot of these, you know, plant societies and things like that do meet at the Botanical Garden, but a lot of them don't. They meet in other locations as well. So that's something that, I mean, it's a great thing just to kind of meet with the people. You can learn a whole lot and uh You know, even share some information that you might have that uh, some of the members of the Plant Society don't, you know, haven't heard of. And it's not necessarily they're going to change their ideas or whatever, but just to hear a different approach to something could make a difference. Why don't we go ahead and take a call or two before we take break? Let's go over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill.
11: Hi.
12: Hi. I need a
11: little little help. Um, I have oak trees and they have these uh, balls on the... Um, branches, right? And I'm wondering—they call them wasp, and I'm, I'm trying
12: to figure out how I can get to them. Do I cut the limbs off? How do How can? Please help. We're <laughs> losing way too many trees, especially oak trees.
2: Right. Basically, it's a gall, G A L L, and it's a result of a wasp, a female wasp, stinging, laying eggs into the sting area, and the, what that does is protect that. Let's say immature insect that immature wasp from let's say any kind of predators that might come along and eat them so there's really nothing you can do that's going to make all that much difference uh you can you know inject the trees with an insecticide uh, and it's a special process you probably have to have a, a let's say a, a pesticide license to actually get the product and then it can be translocated up to the trees and can reduce the amount of galls, but the galls are going to stick and stay until finally the branch that they're impacting will break off at the point where the gall is. They, them, in and of themselves, are not really all that problematic other than from an aesthetic standpoint. And they really okay. only go after, let's say, the red oaks. The, the white oaks rarely, if ever, that I've seen have had any galls on them at all. Okay. Thank you very
11: much. Yeah. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. So it's, it is caused by wasps, but they are called galls, G-A-L-L. And now let's go over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe.
10: Hello, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks for hosting our show into a new decade. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I was wondering uh, around here in St. Anne area, uh, trees are already budded and some are in the early leaf stages. Now, do they get another shot at it if they die off or what's, what's going on with that?
2: That is bad news because a lot of time it depends upon the overall health of the tree. Yes, for yeah. the most part, they're going to push out some other, you know, from additional, you know, buds for the leaves and things like that. But it hasn't really been that you know, warm to, you know, push those buds. Yeah. So that's kind of surprising, but it's going to, you know, aesthetically, you know, if those are the leaf buds that are getting damaged, if they're the flower buds then there will, you know, let's say like on crab oh, okay. apples or red buds or something along that line, they're not going to be able to regenerate any kind of flower buds, but leaf buds, yes.
10: Yeah, these are mostly like uh, maples and uh, uh, sycamore trees that I saw it on.
2: Really? That's surprising. Yeah. I mean, yeah, big uh, ones,
10: older ones, right. deep roots. Yeah. I mean
2: We've got a bunch of trees in our neighborhood, and I walk you know, every day and I check out the plant material, and I haven't okay. seen that happen yet, but uh, that's kind of yeah, surprising. Just
10: south of the airport, yeah.
12: All right. Well, thanks again, Scott. Happy New Year. Certainly.
2: My pleasure. And if anybody else has questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. Then we'll take it from there. Why don't we head over to Charlie's yard. Charlie, how are you today?
11: Doing fine. How are you today? Very good. Well, I have a question for you. I bought a home over in the Southampton area here in St. Louis about three years ago, Mm -hmm. and I put a red bud in the front yard. We planted a red bud in the front yard. and the first couple of years, it bloomed. It was beautiful. Um, and I thought, well, okay, well, this is going to uh, add a lot of uh, character to the house, and it's about 12 foot right now. Well, I lost all of the leaves uh, probably midsummer, and I went up and talked to them up at the um, um, nursery, and they said it could could have been that with all of the rain that we got and the heat, and it just kind of couldn't make up its mind what it wanted to do. Um, so I planted some fertilizer spikes around it um, and um, you know there's some sap there was some sap coming out of it quite a bit. And I'm hoping that this thing will regenerate. Uh, is there any hope for it do you, do you think or is it anything I can do?
2: No, there's nothing you can do and really fertilizing a plant that's let's say not doing well is' kind of sick is not going to help at all. It's going to maybe cause more problems than it does good. So especially oh. without knowing, you know, what the analysis of those tree, sti- tree spikes that you put or whatever it happens to be, whether you use even regular granite or fertilizer or liquid or anything else, you could cause major problems with just increasing the nitrogen level and, you know, trouble from that perspective. So there's nothing okay. you can really do. Probably, you know, their analysis that, you know, all the rain that we had could have been, you know, the circumstance that caused the foliage to drop off. But uh, no, there's nothing you can really do. Just kind of keep your fingers crossed.
11: Yeah the uh, the branches aren't brittle, so they're, they're still got some spring left in them, so they're not breaking
13: off. Right. So uh,
11: that,
2: you know that's you know that's kind of misnomer. It, it takes a long time for branches to get brittle enough, especially if something just happened the previous year. They're still going to have some flexibility to it. What you could do is go out and. You know, just take like a a cutting off a branch, like a one-foot cutting, and bring it inside and put it in a glass of water and see if any of the buds start pushing out. They're not going to open up entirely, but just see if they were still viable. That will give you a little bit of hope, but that still doesn't guarantee the tree is going to recover and, you know, perform as it has done in the past.
11: I see. So do you you think I should go ahead and try to uh, find those spikes and remove them?
2: Uh, yeah, if they, especially if they haven't started, a, I'm assuming that, you know, they probably have already started to melt and you know, migrate into the soil. But, yeah, right. I would certainly, you know, think about getting them up out of the ground.
11: Okay. All right. Well, well that's uh, uh, great information. I'll cut me a piece of that branch off and put it in a glass of water and see what it does. And, right. Uh, I just just hate to have to uh, uh, pull it up. That's what I'm trying to avoid. Right.
2: Exactly. Uh-huh. So here's, okay. you know, in relationship to that, well, thanks, Charlie, and greatly appreciate you calling and having me on your show. But remember, you know, the, the plants that you get, the nitrogen will break down. It can break down from organic material. So, in other words, you had, you know, organic material if you put mulch over the root system of the root ball of the plant. And so keeping the organic material with good mulching prax- practices is important you know and basically too much nitrogen can cause you know pr- just problems for the plant material even though it's only in the ground for a few days because then it becomes a gas and heads up into the air Other problems you know related to fertilizer is the phosphorus and potassium the last two major numbers can be problematic if the levels get to get to be too extreme so let's head over to next Mikes yard and Mike lives in Baldwin. Hi Mike
13: Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. I have three questions for you. Number one, last year, uh, sorry, two years ago now, I purchased some double knockout roads. my house bases uh, east, uh, right? East, yes, my house bases east. And uh, these double knockout roads have done really well. I have six of them in a row. Uh, the only thing is last year I was traveling I was unable to cut them back or do anything good. They're currently probably about four feet high, and they got kind of wild and sprouted all over the time. My question is, how do I, uh, when do I cut those things back and how much do I cut them back in order for them to uh, prosper
2: this year? You don't really, you know, Uh, you'd be just pruning them for the sake of pruning yourself. They don't really need to be pruned if that's as big as they are. If you want to do the pruning, just get the pruning done before any kind of the buds start pushing out new growth. So that's the foliar buds. So you got between, you know, any time before probably, oh, mid-April or so to get them pruned. Okay,
13: great. Second question is about my hostas. Last year I noticed that the—I have hostas that they see as well. But these hostas, uh, it looked like the roots were coming out of the ground. What actually happened, I believe, is that the soil uh, went back into the clay and all that. So now the roots are exposed. Is it possible to cover them with three the inches of uh, good uh, potting soil from, uh, you know, like uh, miracle grow potting soil and to take care of like that? Do I have to actually pull them up and put them back in the ground, stir the ground up with potting soil and put them back
2: down? Well, to be back honest back. with you, you know, just layering something, whether it was topsoil, whether it was potting soil or anything else, on the top of regular soil is not going to do a bit of good because it's going to migrate away with hard rains and all that other stuff. So you'd just be wasting your time. So the roots are showing. So are you saying the crown of the plant? So in other words, where the stem came up out of the ground, that's showing? Yes, sir. I would probably just you know put a couple of inches of mulch over the top of that and not worry about them too much. As long as they were healthy, the leaves were fully sized and everything else. But, uh, yeah, putting soil over the top of them is not going to do anything.
13: So just bulbs will do it? Right. Any particular type?
2: Ideally, I mean, if you wanted to, if you really, if they're, you know, some of your favorite plants or something, when the weather gets uh, a little bit warmer, dig them up and replant them and plant them so that crown of the plant is only, you want it just below the surface. So the fact that it's showing a little bit doesn't mean a whole lot.
13: My third and final question is, I have a Japanese maple on the south side of the house. It's actually facing east from the southern end of the house. Now, this Japanese maple has been having trouble uh, the last couple of years. And I, what I did, I covered the ground with cream. Then I put that mulch down on top of there. I'm wondering if it's having a problem breathing or what's going on. Because what's happening is, uh, toward the trunk of the tree, and it's probably I've been at 15 years, 15 years old, and it it's uh, uh, about three and a half feet tall. It, it seems to be splitting at the trunk or something, you know, up toward the when it branches out up there for all the foliage uh, the and leaves and branches. It's splitting at the trunk for some reason. I don't understand that.
2: So this is one of the Japanese maples that looks like an umbrella, correct? That is correct. So probably what it is, that's a grafted plant. So what's happened... You know, for some environmental reason or whatever it happens to be weather-wise or anything else, where the real trunk and the graft, the umbrella part of the tree, meet, that's probably where the split is, and there's really not too much you can do about that. That's exactly the good. Okay. Yeah. So that's, cool. you know, it's pretty much a goner. Just expect it to, Uh-oh. you know, it may last for multiple years, but expect it to just overall start to go downhill.
13: Very good.
2: All right, good luck with Thanks that. Very much. Yep.
14: Appreciate
2: it. Yeah, I mean, the Japanese maples that are the umbrella basically look like umbrellas are, actually have two graphs. The root system is separate from the trunk and then the trunk is separate from the as I said, the root system and then the umbrella growth. So, that's, you know, that's kind of where the problem could come in. Let's now head over to Susan Jard. Hi Susan. Hi. Hi.
0: Um, So I, um, first of all, I wanted to tell you that I have, um, I live in West County and I have daffodils up about three and a half inches in the south side of my house. But anyway, um, what I really called about is I am determined to try to grow zucchini without any um, chemicals to prevent these worms from getting in the So. I've tried imitation vanilla spray. I've tried garlic powder, pepper. I've tried um, marigolds where you even tearing up the flowers and sprinkling by the stem. And last year I cut out one of the worms, um, and, but my plant didn't make it. It was already too far gone. So um, do you have any other ideas?
2: <laughs> to be honest, I would say check the Missouri Botanical Garden website. That would probably be the best place to go because they're going to have a bunch of different alternatives, organic and non-organic. And that would be, you know, because, I mean, unless, you know, this is a lot of work. And I don't know if it's, first of all, I would say if something becomes this much work, this much problem, I'd give (laughs) up on them. But uh, that's, you know, that's sort of my opinion. But uh, I would say look at the Missouri Botanical Garden website and see what they recommend. Okay. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, I wish I, you know, I mean, it's hard to know exactly what, you know, the problem is just kind of in general. So should we take another call before we take a break? No, let's take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We do have some lines open, and let's head over to Linda's yard right now. Hi, Linda.
15: Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a suggestion for your feral cat situation. We had, where we live, we had a lot of cats running around and multiplying, and there's a an organization called Open Door Animal Shelter out in House Springs, that's out Gravelly, that supplies traps. You can just borrow the traps from them and catch the cats and have them neutered. And some, you know, if they're, maybe if they're just cats that people have turned out and they're not really feral cats that are too, you know, unadoptable, right. they would take them in to have them adopted. But that's just a suggestion. They were so easy to catch because I just would put, like a can of open can of cat food in there, and immediately you would catch them. Cause they're so desperate. But I was wondering why. Yeah, they're so desperate for food. Yeah, I was wondering about the cardinals here too, because we hadn't seen them, and we do have a couple of cats running around here too. But anyway, it didn't dawn on me that that could be the reason they're <laughs> staying away. But <laughs> if you have a severe problem like we did, well, we had a mother cat with with a lot of babies, so. Yeah, that kind of it kind of went away back when we went out to get those traps at Open Door.
2: Well, that's I mean that's good insight. Sure. So uh, yeah, these you know the unfortunate thing is these cats are being fed by somebody that lives up you know five or six houses away from us. So because I see they keep going back to the same house. But they never get to go inside. So where they're, you know, at night where they go or anything else, I'm not really sure. But they're definitely constantly on patrol.
15: Right. Do you want the phone number out there or anything?
2: Oh, I don't need it. I can, yeah, you know, I can get it. So, but that okay. You know, certainly, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Love the show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'll give that, you know, some thought. I just hate to trap anything, but uh, anyway, that's sort of my deal. Even though these cats make me really angry. Let's go over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb.
0: Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh,
7: Just a couple quickies. Uh,
0: I had a huge jade plant uh, that was
7: too heavy and top-heavy falling over, and I didn't want to bring it in. So I broke a lot of pieces off. I've got about four 10-inch pots started. Uh, Does
0: fertilizing them at this time uh, do any good or should I?
2: No, no fertilizing. I mean, they haven't even put out any kind of root systems yet. So I would say just make sure that the potting mix that you put it in in those pots was uh, for cactus plants. That would be the ideal thing. But, you know, if you didn't get the cactus potting mix, you know, at least a really well-drained potting mix— no water, no nothing. Just leave them alone. As soon as the days start to get longer, when we head, you know, get out of wintertime and head into the spring, you can water them, but you've taken care of jade plants so you oh. know about watering and everything else. but no fertilizer this time of year oh. whatsoever on probably for the next two years or so. So I would just no, kind of really. leave them alone
1: there's related there's to no fertilizer
2: place. and just kind of take care of them the same way that you did. As uh, you know, get the one so big that it got too big to move around, oh, and they, if the, they, hopefully the you didn't plant the stalks or the trunks or the you know the pieces too no. you know too deep into the potting mix, but then they'll they'll send out lateral roots from that. So I, good I, luck with I, that, so Barb. Hard. And now let's go over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hey, Joe, are you there? Nope. Looks like Joe's. And let's go over to Dave instead. Hi, Dave.
12: Yeah, when I was uh, 11 years old, we moved from Minnesota to St. Louis, and I noticed there was all kinds of traps for Japanese beetles because they were just coming to the area. Now the Japanese beetles are just now coming to Minnesota, Ooh. and I think it's a climate change. And we used to have beautiful elms, and now we're there's one sycamore tree that I know of, and now they're telling us to plant sycamores. And I notice the sycamores in St. Louis seem to be dying off. And there's a really a change in the flora. Uh, we don't have aspen trees anymore. We're they're being replaced by oaks. Right. Our birch trees are going north up to. We have to drive all the way to Duluth now before we see pine trees and aspen. We used to see those just north of Minneapolis when I was I'm 90, and when I was 11, we had those trees all the way down to to St. Paul and Minneapolis. and I noticed a change in St. Louis too. They're getting things here that they never used to have.
2: right not only plant material wise, but you know armadillos and things like that are being able to migrate north, so that's it's, right.
12: we got possum too right exactly. <laughs>
2: Well, thanks for the insight. Yeah, I greatly appreciate it. And, I mean, there's going to be changes, you know, weather-wise and everything else. So let's go over to Joe. I think Joe is probably the one that – are you back again, Joe? Hey, Joe, are you there? Nope, I guess not. Ooh, two times. Let's go to Glenn's yard. Hi, Glenn.
9: Hey, Mike. Hi. I got a female –
6: Shepherd Lab mix for Christmas last year, and she likes the same place in the yard to do her business. Is there any, I I suspect there's no grass, but is there a ground cover that would be resistant to female dog urine? Uh,
2: Basically, it's going to be problematic. I would say if she's going to the same spot over and over and over again, unless it's really an abstract thing or on a slope or whatever it happens to be, I would just cover it with mulch. And maybe put okay. a steel put a steel edger or something around, just kind of keep the mulch in that area.
16: Okay, because she just likes to go right out the front door, right in front of our boxwoods, and <laughs> I'll never grow grass there.
2: <laughs> You're absolutely right. So just right, mulch the okay. area.
11: Okay, thanks, Mike. Certainly.
2: And let's see if the third time is a charm. Joe, are you there?
11: No, this isn't Joe. This is Kelly.
2: No, this is Kevin. <laughs> well, thanks, Kevin.
12: Hey, I'm calling to see if uh, you can tell me anything about uh, trimming uh, trees that are hanging over my fence.
2: Uh, Basically, if they're – so, in other words, they're in the neighbor's yard and they're overgrowing your fence? Yes. Uh, I mean, you'd have to really talk to them. But if you just chop them off at the property line, more or less, you're not doing – you're going to cause more problems than you are good. If they're longer branches, then uh, ask your neighbor if they or if you or if a tree service can – To take them out properly, if they're long branches, they should be cut off in thirds so there's no bark tear. Because if you just try to cut them off at the trunk or whatever, it could tear the bark and then cause problems for the tree just kind of in general.
12: Yeah, I was trying to start a flower garden, and the trees are really shady Um, where I was wanting to put one.
2: Right. So there's not really—I mean, just to cut them off at that one spot, you know, to let sunlight come down for now— Probably in another couple years, you're going to be not necessarily right back to where you are, but pretty much pretty similar.
13: Yep.
12: Um, Okay, so I should just talk to the neighbors then.
2: Right, and take the branches off entirely. So, in other words, you're raising the trunk. You're removing the lower branches, and uh, that's the best way to do it as opposed to just chopping them off. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Yeah, it's an unfortunate circumstance, but also— I mean, the branches are important, but just realize that the root systems are growing underneath where you're going to be planting, you know, this area too. So that can, you know, can have an impact on how the plant material is going to go. So the root systems go just slightly beyond the furthest extension of the branches. And the further out you get away from where the trunk is, the more feeder roots there are, and that's what causes a major challenge for anything that you might plant in that area. So that's you know one of the real problems. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMox.
2: Yes folks, we got some phone lines open and we got some time left in the show, so 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Pat lives in Crestwood. Pat, how are you today?
0: I'm doing fine, Mike. Um, I have a, an arborvita plant that I had originally grown in a pot, and it got too large, so it had to go in the ground. It's been in a couple of years, but now with all the rain, I see that a lot of water stands around the base. Ooh. So is there, I mean, can I just put more soil around it? or
2: No, nope, that won't help at all. So, you know, who, I don't know, did you plant it or whoever planted it, what they did is they didn't plant it high enough. So anytime you plant any kind of plant material, you should make sure about 20% of the root ball, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground, which allows for that settling. But when you get around an arborvitae, you know, water that puddles, they cannot handle that. So it's uh, kind of destined for trouble. Yeah, so I don't
0: know if I should try digging it up. I mean it's been in a couple of years now. But. Yeah.
2: That might be a lot of effort and a lot of work. I mean you could try that. You can't do that this time of year, especially with the ground as wet as it is. So right. you're gonna do I mean, I don't you know, it's it's a tough call. You could certainly try to dig it up and replant it, but again, you gotta make sure that it you know, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. About twenty percent of it is exposed. Okay. I mean, then so you put mulch it, it, over the top of that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a low spot in the yard that water wants to drain. So is it am I beating my head against the ground? You know, I mean, can I add extra soil there? But I don't no. know you know, before I put it in.
2: Yeah, unless you had somebody come in and do some major contouring and things like that. No, it's you know I would say that's not a good spot for that particular plant.
0: Oh, okay. And the other quick question, I know you always talk about Saint Louis compost. But do they also sell plants and things like, um, well, I'm looking for red rhubarb soon.
2: No, they sell no plant material whatsoever.
0: Okay, so just check with nurseries or whatever. Right,
2: exactly. And the rhubarb you're probably just going to buy as uh, as a root.
0: Right, and I've put it in a couple times, but it seems like after two or three years, it just kind of goes away.
2: (laughs) Well, sometimes certain plants do that, so... Just so you have to have really, really, really good soil that's well-drained and everything else. So good yeah, luck with that. Yeah, I
0: think I'm, I'm going to move it this
2: year. So, okay,
0: well, thank you very much for your suggestions.
2: Certainly. And now let's go over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Oh, hi, Mike. Hi. Um,
16: yeah, been wanting to call you for some time. Uh, is, is it too late to aerate your ground?
2: Well, right now it is. You can't do it because it's too wet. Exactly. So, so no, it's not. To, I mean, at the botanical garden, they aerate. You know, when the ground is dry, you know, they do it twice a year. They do it in the spring and then again in the fall. So no, you're you're fine doing it.
16: Okay. So I was just wondering if I, there were like just the springtime, or if there was other times during the year that would be still helpful.
2: Yeah, I mean, either t- any time is helpful, especially if you're going to spread compost after you aerate. Aerating exactly. is really important, but the compost falling down into the holes, that's I mean, that's crucial for the overall health of the of your soil, and consequently the overall health of your plant material.
16: Yeah, that's uh I missed this year and so I so I was wondering well, maybe I can catch up on it. But I did that St Louis compost after aerating the last time and it turned out really great. So right. I was, uh, well, I might as well stay with it.
2: Right, and so, so you can yeah. do it twice a year. You can do it every couple of years if you want to. Probably every other year would be. I wouldn't go any you know any longer than that.
16: Right. Yeah. It, it sounds like we were in the same years in the Air Force, and uh, every time I listen to you, and uh, but anyway, my other comment was I hear I've been wanting to call about the uh, the people concerns about birds and cats and everything. Right. I got I got into Bird feeding and everything, and was reading more about them. How beneficial they are to man, and how they kill all these insects and mosquitoes, which right. we all hate. Absolutely. And and I had a cat problem, and irresponsible people were dropping them off in a wooded area and right off of Telegraph and so forth. And um, so anyway, I was watching them kill my birds, and Ooh. while I'm out there listening to the ball game and everything, and Ooh. so I said, I got to do something about this. And so anyway, um, I I got some have-a-heart traps, and I caught a number of them, and um, I took them to the Maine Society and left them a donation and everything. It's, you hope, you know, they can find a home, and a lot of times they can and right. So anyway, it took care of my cat problem for now, but, you know, that's I had the same thing, but don't stop feeding the birds this time of year. This is so hard on them. Right, exactly.
2: Well, thanks, Ron. I greatly uh, appreciate it. And now let's head over to Glenn's yard. Hi, Glenn. Yeah. Uh,
12: Hello.
2: Yes, go ahead.
12: Yeah, uh, I was in a show here a couple months ago, and you said something about mulching in the fall. Right. Is that a good
2: time to do it, then? You can certainly, I mean, it protects the roots only if you need the mulch. So around trees and shrubs, the mulch should never be any deeper than four inches. Or plant material, herbaceous areas, one to two inches. So, you know, and depending upon the type of mulch you use, it will dehydrate your soil a little bit. So you always want to put some, you know, water the area first before you put the mulch down. So uh, you can do it spring or fall. Either time, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. And now over to Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Good morning. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Good. I had, we moved to a house
14: that has about a sixty foot tall uh, southern magnolia, randiflora. It's huge, and it just recently we've only been here a year, so it's the first cycle of the year we've had the tree. But just the other day, when we had the high winds, tons of the tips of the trees, like maybe five inches of stem, you know, with maybe five leaves each, fell. Kind of just blew off the tips of the trees. Is wow. that
2: a normal? No. No, it was.
14: <laughs> oh, it was just weird.
2: Yeah, I've never heard of that.
14: Oh, no, they're all over. I mean, I could even send you a picture. They're all over my yard. It, it, and it's like five inches of stem with maybe five to six leaves each. Just all, all these tips of the southern magnolia just blew off. I've got a pile as tall as me. Of course, I'm not that tall. But, you know, um, yeah, just tons of them. Like, so... I'll probably fill a bunch of compost bags with them.
2: Right, and the unfortunate thing of that—that's where the flower buds are too. I know. So, I, I mean, that's what I
14: thought. because we saw it bloom in the spring. It was stunning. Right, you know, the big, giant, giant flowers, right, they were gorgeous. So I don't. It, it was just weird. So that's not a normal occurrence.
2: No, definitely Ooh. not. Not to I'm that even, extreme. Yeah,
14: I, it's really weird.
2: Yeah. So
14: I don't. I guess we have to just keep an eye on it. Yep. I mean, this thing is this thing is massive, and it's. And it's probably
2: very old, and, you know, that could be part of the problem, too. To get that large, usually they don't quite get that large. But uh, anyway, good luck, Chris, and let's head over to to Nettie's. Hi, Nettie.
15: Hi, Mike. Um, I have two witch hazel. One is growing straight up, and the other one is branching out and getting very large. Can you tell me when is the right time to trim them, and how do you trim them?
2: Basically, uh, is it in a spot do you have to prune them?
15: I would like to because it's kind of blocking. The one is blocking out another plant,
2: oh, and okay. I kind
15: of want to, you
2: well, know. Anything that blooms in the springtime, the best time to prune it is right after they finish flowering. So the witch hazel can bloom sometime in, you know, as early as February, sometimes in March. So when it finishes, you know, basically, uh, you know, finishes flowering, then go ahead and prune it. So just take some of the, you know, take the branches, any branch that you're trying to, you know, remove. Just make sure that you take it and don't just leave a stub. Take it back and cut it back off. If it's growing out of the ground or if it's growing off another, you know, another twig, another branch, cut it off right at that intersection. Okay. All
15: right. Thanks.
2: Certainly. And now let's go to Doris. Hi, Doris.
9: Hi, Mike. A gentleman called about the balls on the oak tree. Right. I had that problem really bad, and uh, I thought I got rid of them, and i I was going to tell you what I did. I had the tree trimmed back those branches that had the balls on. Mm-hmm. And then the next summer, sure enough, around the bottom of the tree, I saw some wasps messing around. So right. I went to the hardware store. And got a can of wasp and hornet spray. And if I ever see any activity around there, or you could do it on a regular basis, it's a real, basis. It's a real cheap way of, of fixing the problem. Well, great. Well, thanks for that insight. Because most of the time, people say there's nothing you can do. Right. But we just had, had the branches trimmed back, the ones that were causing, the, well, pretty well over the whole tree he trimmed it. And then watch, and you don't have to watch for it, just spray it. Right. It's a cheap fix.
2: Now, these these wasps are not the classic-looking wasps, so they're kind of non-traditional type wasps. But thanks for the, you know, the I inside I really doors. didn't
9: pay that much attention yeah. to what they looked like, right. you know.
2: Well, but, thanks for that don't, insight. Don't don't
9: give up hope, and and they are a pain, those balls.
2: Yeah, they are. Aesthetically, okay. they're really problematic, so thanks <laughs> And thanks to Margie, Luann, and uh, Anita, we can't get to you today. So next week, I think maybe the Garden Hotline will be on again, I hope. But uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Thanks to everybody that called in. And, wow, we, we just be really careful if this weather turns out to be as weird as they're talking about. So. Hopefully it will not be. And uh, stay off your yard. Just realize that the wet soil compacts very badly. Mike Miller, Kate, MRs Garden Hotline. See you next week.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.